Higgins now lands swings and he crushes it. Left center field. Warning track walk. Goodbye. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now here's your host, Eric Danner. Welcome to the WAC Podcast. My name is Eric Danner. On today's show, we have Juan Reisman scheduled from Tarleton State. He is the Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics, and uh, the uh, Tarleton State Texans will be joining the WAC in, on July 1st. And Juan has a, a very interesting story uh, dating back to when he was a basketball coach, a longtime AD at Tarleton, now the VP for Inter- Intercollegiate Athletics, and discovered Dennis Rodman. So we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. We're also going to talk with Hope Schuler, the Associate Commissioner and Senior Woman Administrator for the WAC, and uh, always entertaining to talk with Hope. But first, as we do in every show, this is now episode number four, we bring in the on-air talent and broadcasting coordinator for the Western Athletic Conference. Her name is Rachel Vigil. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm good, Eric. How are you? Hanging in there, Rach. Hanging in there. Uh, a couple things to uh, talk about from uh, the over the weekend or, or from the uh, uh, what, what's what been going on. Of course, The Last Dance, which I'd been looking forward to for a year. ESPN tur- turns up the timetable. It debuts on Sunday night. Uh, did not disappoint. Uh, what an amazing uh, documentary that is. They did the two-parter uh, to start off with two hours. And uh, did you get a chance to watch it? I did. Yeah, I was actually very excited about it. I was so happy when they announced that ESPN was going to move it up because I know it was supposed to air in, I believe, June or July. I can't remember which one. Right, so summer. when they announced they were moving it up, I was so happy. And the way they do their documentaries are so interesting. And as like an editing nerd and somebody who's like in the TV business, just to see like all the little things they do was so interesting. Plus the story is obviously incredible. I was, I could have probably watched all 10 episodes last <laughs> night if they would allow us. I, I would have done it. Yeah. It is amazing. Especially when you consider there's no narrator. So everything yeah. they have for two hours straight. And I imagine for the 10 hours that there's no narrator. So it has to be moved along by sound bites, by interviews, by natural sound from games and those kind of things. So that always impresses me. It's like, that is so hard to do and to string it all together so it makes sense. Yeah, and it really is like you wouldn't expect it to be that difficult, but they do such an incredible job and all the interviews were so good and uh, they I was so impressed with everything they did. I can't wait to watch the rest of it. Yeah, my favorite uh, graphic was Barack Obama, Chicago area resident. <laughs> right? <laughs> Same with Bill Clinton. They were like former Arkansas governor. <laughs> yeah, I think we know who uh, Barack and Bill Clinton are. Now, we had a couple of whack tie-ins as I was watching it uh, last night or on Sunday night. Danny Ainge uh, was the 1981 first ever Whack Men's Basketball Player of the Year. We never gave out that award until 1981. Danny Ainge played at BYU when they were in the WAC. He was the first ever recipient of that award, and they chronicled Michael Jordan's 63-point game against the Celtics in the playoffs the year he was injured, and that he played golf with Danny Ainge the day before, and and Danny Ainge beat him in golf, and that perhaps Michael Jordan was uh, taking out his frustrations on Danny the following night in uh, Boston. I love how they put that in there. It's like a small little tidbit, but it really adds to the story, like the big picture. Because, you know, it doesn't really matter that they played golf, but because of that, like it could have fueled something for MJ. And also uh, another whack tie-in, uh, as we mentioned, Lon Reisman's going to be our guest in the next segment. Lon was the an assistant coach at Southeastern Oklahoma and actually discovered Dennis Rodman as a player. He was playing at a junior college, uh, they're supposedly going to get into it next week um, on The Last Dance in Episode 3, uh, kind of more of Dennis Rodman's backstory. But he was uh, didn't play in high school, plays a half a semester in, in junior college. Lon sees him, goes to his house. Uh, Dennis won't come out of his room. Uh, Lon pounds on his door until he comes out and then talks him into going to southeastern Oklahoma where uh, Dennis becomes an All-American and, and later a Hall of Famer. So just an amazing story. So you want to uh, tune in on our next segment uh, to hear Lon Reisman, what he has to say about Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman, I think, has a huge personality. I mean, obviously the hair and <laughs> 
some of the episodes. I think it's going to be really interesting to see. But I was watching Scott Van Pelt last night after um, both episodes aired, and they had Steve Kerr on. And he was saying that Dennis Rodman was a very quiet and shy guy until he got on the court in front of everybody, and then his personality came out. So I think that's super interesting because, you know, you see him and you think giant personality when actually when he was just, like, talking with his um, teammates, he was just a shy guy. Yeah, and uh, hopefully you're staying safe. Um, it seems here in the state of Colorado that uh, the numbers for, for the COVID pandemic are getting better. Obviously, you know, uh, it, it's been a tragedy across the country, but it uh, seems that the numbers are going down a bit, which is always good news, uh, Rachel. But unfortunately, a person that we both know uh, passed away this past week from COVID. Her name is Karen Hawes. I, I knew her uh, back in the early 90s. I went to to college at MSU Denver and and she was a super fan there and was always front and center and and uh, very very sad to see that uh, uh, she succumbed uh, to complications due to COVID uh, earlier this week. Yeah, I when I was interning at Nine News here in Denver, uh, she would call the sports office every single day and talk to you about anything going on and she just wanted to chit chat and she always would answer the phone and say hey buddy um yes. so now when i hear that you know I, and she did it to everybody but it just breaks your heart and especially for her family too i know she was deeply loved and everybody in the sports department at nine news that i've talked to that still works there says it's really quiet now in the office you know you always expect to hear a phone call and then one day it just stops so my heart definitely breaks for everybody that knew her yeah yeah uh, rest in peace karen Haas. I, I believe she died at the age of, of 67 also worked at a local uh a grocery store in Aurora as well. Uh, Rachel, uh, in terms of uh, WAC news, uh, uh, we did hand out the Academic Winter Awards this past week, and we had quite a few student-athletes on the on the list, and uh, we had, had your first uh, at-home uh, package. It, uh, it appeared there on the uh, WAC Digital Network. Yeah, it was funny to have to shoot it. I was trying to find like a good area in my house to do it, you know, one that the wall didn't end. Uh, I live in a one bedroom apartment, so I don't have a ton of space and luckily was able to find it. But congratulations to all the student athletes that were able to do that. It's always great to see such high numbers in the WAC. Now, was that a fishbowl on the uh, on the shelf behind you? Not a fishbowl. It's dog treats. Um, <laughs> every single time we leave the house, we try to give our dog a treat uh, just to know that she is loved and we will be coming back. So, yeah, those are dog treats. Yeah, 352 student athletes made uh, the all academic team and, and 41 percent of those uh, were also all whack. So very uh, exciting news. Uh, 352 uh, honorees for winter sports all academic team. Yeah, definitely. Congratulations to all of them. Continue to work on those academics. And if they're graduating, then, you know, best of luck. And also uh, this past week, uh, as, as the news continues, even though we're we're here in lockdown, uh, Misty Opat from Chicago State, their women's basketball coach the last two seasons, she stepped down at CSU. So the Cougars are going to be uh, looking for a new basketball coach. I, I was shocked. And I actually heard of it um, when I was doing the Instagram live. And I was kind of like, wait, what? You know, it's one of those things you read and you're like, well, like I need to look into that a little bit more. So it came to me as a huge surprise. You know, every time I talked to coach, she was always very upfront and honest and seemed very positive about the way that the CSU's program was going. So it was also interesting though, that I haven't seen anything from her. I know she apparently talked to the Chicago Tribune via text that Mm -hmm. she left on her own accord, um, but nothing from her side um, about her stepping down. So it's a very interesting situation to me, but it'll be very interesting also to see who chicago state hires it will be and also you you mentioned your instagram live which you're doing every wednesday or thursday uh whack all access live if you will uh (laughs) you're you're trying to have molly miller the new women's basketball coach at grand canyon on the show this week but uh unfortunately technology didn't work out technology man i swear when you're really really excited about something it always is like letting you down it's like when you have a printer and you need to print something right and you're like okay i need to get out the door this instant i just need this to print and then something goes wrong with your printer i swear that always happens but yeah i was really bummed um luckily coach was great and she got on twitter and answered a lot of people's questions um that following night too so she was wonderful to talk to for the little bit that i was able to um and thanks to everybody that tuned in and kind of stuck around just to hear her audio 
Yeah, I saw Coach Miller had actually tweeted herself that she was going to be on. You had tweeted. So, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people were excited to see that. But, yeah, it just didn't work out. And and Coach Miller, uh, one of the younger head coaches uh, in Division One, I, I believe, what is she, 32, 33 years old, but has already been a head coach for a while and has a great track record at Drury and uh, might have been uh, – the head coach, if the season had continued, uh, her, her team was definitely on track to potentially win the Division Two National Championship. Yeah, and they were undefeated, and she has an impressive record, 180-17 and 17 as a coach. That's no joke right there. So it'll be very interesting to see her come to GCU and see what she can do to this GCU team. And I know you're efforting, as we say in the business, a another spectacular interview for this week. Yes, I am. Um, I won't say who just in case it doesn't work out. I don't ever want to get somebody's hopes up and then it not happen. But hopefully it will be a fall sports coach so we can kind of get an insight on how recruiting is going and, you know, just how all of this pandemic stuff is happening towards the fall sports area. Now, the NFL draft is coming up this week. Obviously, we, we don't have football in the whack, but the MLB draft, not quite sure when that's going to be. And, and I have to be honest, I, I don't know if, if there's going to be an MLB draft since – there might not be minor league baseball this year. There might not be major league baseball this year. Who knows? Yeah, that's very interesting. And I know, too, that there's talk about pushing the MLB draft back yep. to, like, the end of July, too, which is it's so interesting to me just how all of this is going to end up working out. Now, CBS did do an MLB mock draft, and uh, the number two overall pick going to the Baltimore Orioles, they had is Nick Gonzalez from New Mexico State. Nick Gonzalez, 12 homers in 16 games Unbelievable. this year. 12 in just 16 <laughs> games. He's a complete stud. And it's interesting, too, because he might be meeting up with his former teammate, shortstop Jory Ortiz, who was selected by the Orioles as well. Yeah. And and again, a lot, lot needs to happen between now and then. But uh, everything that I've seen had Nick going in the top five. And he had a great offseason at the Cape, uh, Cape Cod League Cape Cod. on the East Coast. And uh, like you said, 12 home runs in 16 games. He actually had 12 and 13. He didn't home run his last three games. And then... He, he led the, the nation in batting average last year, so he can hit for average, he can hit for power. Uh, they moved him to shortstop this year because uh, Joey Ortiz had left, as, as you mentioned, went to the Baltimore Orioles in the draft. Nick had played second base uh, the prior couple of years, and, and all everything that I saw, him as a shortstop, he, he was as good at that as playing second base. Yeah, and well-deserved if he gets to go in the top five. Very well-deserved. A couple other things we had uh, going on. Uh, we're now doing performances of the decade on Wednesdays. Started with men's track and field. Actually, Rachel, you had a chance to see some of those uh, great performances the last couple of years in uh, Kansas at the University of Kansas in 2018 and then at Utah Valley in 2019. And Orion Girk and Marcus Flanagan from Grand Canyon had some of those uh, great performances. So that's something to look forward to on Wednesdays. This week we'll do uh, women's outdoor track and field. Whack top plays on, on Monday. Uh, we're doing kind of a recap of of some of the best uh, plays by kind of by category. So we had the best dunks last week. And when you put them all together, and, and even when I'm editing, editing those, I'm like, wow, we really had some great dunks this past year. I know. It's Well, first of all, for WAC performances for outdoor track, I think I got to see all of them but one. Live. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Bryce Miller, I think, in 2015 was the only one that I didn't get to see, which is kind of crazy to me. I didn't realize, like, how big that was. I, you know, when you're, like, watching it, you're like, okay, a new record. But for it to be, like, the decade, I'm like, heck yeah, guys. Like, way to go. <laughs> Um, and as for whack top plays, yeah, you know, we get to see each week we put together the whack top play packages. And so when you're watching them, you're like, oh, this was a great dunk. But when you're watching them back to back to back to back, <laughs> I'm like, we had a ton of great dunks, you know, Jordan Jackson being some. Um, I mean, I was watching a whole bunch and I was just like, we have some really good dunkers here in the whack. Yeah, I would have really liked to see a dunk contest. And I was thinking if you if you picked four, you'd have to have Jordan Jackson, obviously. I think yep. you'd have to have Traveling Queen. Yeah. I, I would also put in uh, Carlos Johnson uh, from yeah. Grand Canyon, and then I'd probably put in uh, Tajay Moore from CSU Bakersfield if if you wanted to pick four. I mean, we have obviously more than that, but I would say those are probably the top four this year. Yeah, I was going to also say Johnny McCants. He had a couple good Yeah, as well. John, Johnny is a great dunker as well. Um, There's a bunch. <laughs> we're, we're very privileged here. The way <laughs> <laughs> We really are. And then this week, um, uh, starting on Monday, uh, we'll do the uh, – best buzzer beaters of the year and again that's a category of you know kind of a couple come to mind but boy we had seven or eight that were really good and the jabari rice 
buzzer beater against Utah Valley uh, comes to mind as uh, New Mexico State was in danger of that long winning streak ending and Utah Valley was up in Las Cruces and Jabari Rice banks in the three-pointer at the very end of the game to win it for New Mexico State. And and one of the last games we had of the year was UTRGV uh, against uh, California Baptist that went into overtime and, and we saw a buzzer beater there as well by uh, Leslie Varner. So uh, <laughs> you want to check that out definitely this week. I love the emotion that comes with those plays too. You know, following the big shot, just have like having them all celebrate. I those moments just they get me so excited and give me goosebumps. I'm thinking about some of them now, and I got goosebumps. So. <laughs> well, that's a good way to, to end the segment here, Rachel. I want to thank you uh, for taking some time out. Uh, have a very uh, good week, and we'll we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Eric. All right, that's Rachel V Hill. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Juan Reisman, the Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics at Tarleton State University. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. My name is Eric Danner, reminding you Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle, whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. And now joining us on the WAC Podcast is the Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics at Tarleton State University, Lon Reisman. Juan, how are you doing today? Well, uh, I'm doing fine. I'm working from the office at home today. Uh, I, you know, we were trying to really uh, maintain our social distancing at the university, and so I have to go up there at a short period of time. But, uh, again, we're just trying to follow the rules that has been put before us. Yeah, it is uh, an interesting time for sure, and and uh, hopefully everybody, uh, all, all your friends and family are staying healthy there in Stephenville. Um, other than working from home, uh, any other things that you're doing maybe differently? Or are you doing uh, some Zoom calls, those type of things with your staff? Yeah, you know, we're shelter in place in Stephenville right now. So we're, uh, you know, social distancing is huge, hand washing. And so what we're doing is keeping all of our head coaches at home. Our assistant coaches are home. Most of our staff is at home. I think we have maybe one or two people that will be in the office per day, making sure that they're at a distance or they're not around each other. I'm doing a lot of uh, conference calls with our staff, Zoom meetings with our staff and our administrative staff. So it's a little, you know, we're in uncharted waters right now that we're not used to, and uh, we're trying to make the best of it. I, I think we're working very hard at it. I think we're, we've been successful in what we're doing, even though we're under some difficult circumstances. And even though we're, we're working from home and, and things like that, uh, the work does not stop, even with spring sports being uh, canceled this year. And Lon, you in particular had a, have had a pretty busy uh, March and April here as, as you hired a new men's basketball coach, Billy Gillespie, a, a guy with a lot of D1 experience. You yourself, a former basketball coach. I got to imagine that uh, your paths have crossed uh, quite a few times over the years. What sold you on hiring Billy Gillespie as the next head coach at Tarleton State? Well, you know, I've known Billy for a long time. He was over at Ranger Junior College here for the last few years over there after uh, leaving Tech in Kentucky. Uh, you know, one thing about Billy is uh, Billy uh, has been a part of the Texas A&M University system, which Tarleton State University is in the Texas A&M system. He was the head coach of Texas A&M, did very well down there. And another thing is Billy's got experience in the WAC. He, you know, when he was at UTEP and UTEP was in the WAC, then he he had a uh, you know he had a relationship with the WAC and. And so uh, he understands the WAC, and that, that was important to us. Talking with Lon Reisman, Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics at Tarleton State University. And obviously, Lon, uh, with the hiring of a big name like Billy Gillespie, uh, that, that sent uh, maybe a message to the rest of the WAC that uh, Tarleton State's coming in and, and expecting to compete right away? Well, I think we're going to surprise the WAC. I, I really feel like we're going to be very competitive in the WAC in, in, in many of our sports. You know, we've been very, very successful in NCAA Division II, and the Lone Star Conference is a very, very tough conference in this country in Division II. There's many high-profile student-athletes that are in there that have transferred down from Division One to Division Two, And so I think that we're going to surprise people. I think that they they understand that we are we – are, we're a very competitive uh, university in our in our athletic department, and I think that we're going to go out there, and I think that 
we will play very well within all of our sports within the WAC next year. Now, you made the announcement to join the WAC and uh, make the change to NCAA Division One back in November. What has that been like for you? I, I got to imagine that's that's a, a lot of work uh, for the for the VP of Intercollegiate Athletics, the athletic director, uh, to make that transition, announcing in November, and then here on July 1, you're going to be Division One. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody really realizes how much work it is until you really dive into it. And uh, you know what? This has been a whirlwind for me. Uh, we didn't have a year to prepare, as you know. We we had months to prepare. Right. And so uh, we've. Uh, but I feel very good. We have worked extremely hard, seven days a week. Uh, we are. We are done with our feasibility study. We're done with our pro forma. We're done with our hub transition one, two to one. And then we're done with our strategic plan. So we're getting ready to send that to the WAC this week. So that's great. <laughs> great news that we're sending that to the WAC. The WAC will look it over, send it back to us. And I feel great about this is that this is not due until June 1st, as you know. But, Eric, we're going to send it to the NCAA with our check on April 27th. Wow. Well, that, that, that is uh, definitely a lot of work, and, and maybe our listeners don't realize all the behind-the-scenes things that need to happen when you're making a transition from D2 to D1. Now, Lon, there there are quite a few schools in the WAC that have made this transition. Grand Canyon, a few years back, it went from D2 to D1. California Baptist made that decision a few years ago. You're going to be joining this year with Dixie State University also making that transition. Are there any other, uh, schools that you look at in particular as, as models for how to, to make that transition the, the best you can do? You know, I think there's, there's there's people out there that, you know, I've visited a lot with different people. And, you know, it, nothing is apples to apples, as you know. Everybody has their own way about doing things. When we transitioned from NAI back in the day, back in the early 90s to uh, Division Two, you know, we had, a, we had our own uh, phase and program that we wanted to bring to, the, to our university as we phased things in. I think we're unique. I think that we're an institution is probably somewhat different than other institutions. We're uh, we're in the state of Texas. The state of Texas is a huge state, as you know. The re, you know we, we we have a great recruiting base in this state. A lot of people from all over the country come to Texas to recruit. We sit right here in the central part of the of the, of the state of Texas, in central Texas. And so I think with the A and M system behind us, and we have a tremendous A and M system. Texas A M system is the fourth largest system in the United States. I feel real. I, you know, we feel like we have our own our own uh, vision of where we want to be in the next four years. And I think that, I think that as we look at what we're doing, other people have their own vision. I think that, you know, we have some autonomy on how we're going to do things. Talking with Lon Reisman from Tarleton State University. And when you made that announcement back in November, uh, a lot of fanfare, uh, I watched it online. I uh, was very impressed with the video production quality there at TSU. Now, when you, uh, when you made that announcement, uh, was this something that is that you had been thinking about for a long time? Obviously, you've been at Tarleton State for for quite a few years. You were the men's basketball coach, your athletic director, vice president of intercollegiate athletics. How long have you been uh, looking at potentially going Division One? Well, Eric, we actually looked at it back in 2003, and uh, we were very close to making a decision in 2003. It did not come to fruition, and we didn't. We looked at it a little bit again in 2012, but I, you know, I had something on my. I had something written in my on my desk since 2003, and you said I've been here th- for 32 years. And mm-hmm. so, when we started looking at Division One, I, I I wrote something down, and it, it, I I don't know who the author of this is. It says it's, it, I don't have it, but it says many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. And underneath that, I put NCAA Division One, and I've left that on my desk for 16 years. Wow. And, you know that's. I had many people say, you know, wow, I can't believe it. You know, it was a 16-year vision for me because in 1988, when I came here, we were a small NAI Division two, Division One school in, in the NAI, as you know. Right. And in 1993, we went to Division Two, And so we've made the whole turn from NAI, non-scholarship, all the way to NCAA Division One within the mid-major, of the, mid-major conference like the WAC. And that's something special to, to our university, it's special to me, it's special to all my, our administrators, that we can make a 360-degree and, and, and come all the way from non-scholarship all the way to the Division One level. And it took 32 years, but we did it. An amazing story. 
talking with Lon Reisman. Now, I t- had a chance to talk with you when you were in town for the WAC meetings a few months back, and then I, I turned on my TV the next night. I was uh, looking forward to seeing the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30, and uh, pretty early in, I'm watching it, and there, lo and behold, there's Lon Reisman in the documentary, and and it was a very interesting story. I, I knew you coached basketball for a long time. I didn't realize that you had been an assistant at Southeast Oklahoma and, and actually more or less discovered Dennis Rodman. I did. I discovered him. It used to be at Cook Community College in Gainesville, Texas, was the first time that I saw Dennis. And uh, at that time, I, you know, I knew that he was a very raw player, and uh, he had a tremendous upside, tremendous energy, and and uh, it's a long story, but it's a great story. <laughs> uh, uh, we still stay in contact today. You know, um, I was very proud when he got into the basketball hall of fame in springfield massachusetts and i was honored i was the first person that he said something about and uh you know i've watched him grow through his career and uh and uh you know what he may be a pretty good coach you know uh the last dance is is now airing on espn and with no sports going on i'm sure it's getting big numbers in terms of uh, people watching it and i know next week uh, they're going to have more on Dennis Rodman and his story, so it'll be interesting to see if they bring out some of that uh, 30 for 30 that they did there. But did you know what, when you saw this guy? I mean, it, it, it's it's such an amazing story that he was, what, 5'11 in high school and didn't even play basketball, and then he plays uh, half a year at a junior college, and you happened to see him. What did you see? Did, yep. you, did you see him and say, that guy's going to be a future Hall of Famer? Well, no, I didn't feel like that. I sure feel like he could surely be a heck of a basketball player for us at the NAI level at, at, at Southeast Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, he was he was still growing at that time. He was about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, at that time. He actually grew when he came to the Southeastern another inch, started filling out his body. And uh, I just knew that he had tremendous upside. One thing that he had was he, he was he had just tremendous energy. He loved to play the game, tremendous energy. I get people to call me all the time saying, can you teach me, what did you do to teach Dennis Robin how to rebound? It's like he rebounded. <laughs> you know, or they'd ask me certain questions. He was a defensive player of the year in the NBA, two, you know, at least twice. He's on the NBA all-defensive team. And, you know, I really feel good what we did with him and teaching him the fundamentals of basketball. I used to say that he was like a, a little kid in a candy store. The more you gave him, the more he, the more he ate, the more he <laughs> took in, the more he understood. And uh, he, he wanted more and more every day with his work ethic to become a great player. And then we knew that we had something very special after his first year when he became an All-American. And uh, we knew what, what would happen to him in his junior and senior years. And, of course, he, he really uh, he really blew up. We started having pro scars start to call us. They started coming into our gym. And, uh, you know, the story is there. I mean, who would ever think that uh, you take a kid out of, the, out of, the, out of South Dallas, that uh, worked as a janitor in an airport. Yep. And uh, years later, he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield with about five world championships. Two, with, I believe he had two with the Pistons and two or three with the with the uh, with the Bulls. Now, if anybody hasn't seen the Thirty for Thirty, I recommend you go to it on ESPN Plus. They have all the the uh, Thirty for Thirties there. The the one for Dennis Rodman's one of the most recent ones. Now, when they portrayed what happened when when you when you discovered him and then he was a very shy person um and what wasn't sure about if he wanted to go to the next level you go to his house they and they do an actor portraying you and and a younger dennis and then they have a you know i think somebody playing his mom um i've always said if if they ever have somebody portray me i'd like to see tom Selleck or brad pitt uh what are your thoughts on the actor they had portraying the younger lon reesman I was okay with it. I really didn't have any say. <laughs> I mean, some of the things, but but they were right about one thing in that in, in that thirty for thirty is I wasn't leaving the house until I had him in the car. <laughs> and, and did he really lock himself in the room? Yes, he did. I pounded on that door for hours, and uh, and uh, I don't know. We kept talking through the door, and something I finally said clicked. He opened the door. I said, "Get your stuff," and his mother was all for it, and and uh, it, that's where the story began. Wow. You know, I just—I was relentless. I just was not gonna—I was not gonna leave until I had it. Well, it was a good thing you did. I think the uh, Chicago Bulls of the uh, late '90s are very thankful, as were the San Antonio Spurs and Detroit Pistons, where he, he won NBA championships. There, talking with Lon Reisman and and Lon, 
Um, going back to Tarleton State here, and, and the NCAA recently made a decision allowing spring sports athletes another year of eligibility. Uh, how, how does that affect uh, Tarleton State? Is there any differences since you're transitioning from D2 to D1? No, I mean, we're, we're, we'll have some seniors that, we're, that, that are going to return. Not many, to be honest with you, Eric, but we're going to have some, uh, some of our spring sports uh, that are going to return. I, I, we're still searching through that right now, uh, but I, I feel like it's, uh, we're going to have a, a few seniors in each sport return. Well, Halon, want to thank you for taking some time out. Uh, again, uh, glad to hear that everybody's uh, staying healthy in, in Stephenville, Texas, uh, and uh, want to wish you the best of luck, and we look forward to seeing you hopefully face-to-face in the near future. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Uh, we're looking forward to being a, 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 a member of the WAC Conference. Uh, we're excited, and uh, hopefully everything will get on their way this fall. We're hoping for that. So we're wishing everybody the best of health, God bless, and, and everybody stay safe. All right, that is Lon Reisman, Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics at Tarleton State University. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Hope Schuler, Associate Commissioner and Senior Woman Administrator for the WAC. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. My name is Eric Dana, reminding you, take it smarter is the smarter way to buy tickets to live events. If you're looking to experience and enjoy the power and excitement of all the best sports, concerts, and theater events, visit TicketSmarter.com. Download the app today. Don't miss out. Smart fans, start at TicketSmarter.com, and hopefully we can get to live events and all those good things before too long. And joining us now on the WAC podcast is the WAC Associate Commissioner and Senior Woman Administrator. Her name is Hope Schuler. Hope, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on, Hope. Uh, this would be the week uh, that we would be starting up uh, spring championships and one, one of your uh, duties, which uh, changed uh, this year, which we'll get into a little bit, but is uh, overseeing all the championships. We would have had the WAC Tennis Championships in Kansas City and also uh, WAC Women's Golf starting up in Texas. And it's obviously unfortunate for all those uh, spring sport athletes that they don't get to compete this year, but I guess the good news is they have that uh, possibility of coming back next year. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes, I think goes into whether or not a student would make that decision. A student athlete would make that decision to come back. But I think just the opportunity that it's been given back to them at least takes some of the sting out of what happened that everything just abruptly came to an end. Now, Hope, you've been in, in athletics for 20 years now, uh, mainly in, in media relations and sports information. January 1st, you became the WAX SWA, overseeing championships and associate commissioner. And, and you're also overseeing uh, women's basketball, softball, in addition to volleyball. So how has your world changed in, in the past few months in terms of uh, your position at the WAC? <laughs> well, everything about it's different, honestly. Um you know, to go from media relations where you're tracking just how events play out and keeping track of standings and stats and player of the week and all of those things, um, to go from that to now to the championship side of things, um, it's just completely different. You know, I've always had exposure to championships, um, both at the WAC and my last job, so I obviously knew how they worked and had plenty of experience there. Uh, and I really felt like I was just starting to put my stamp on things when all of this coronavirus yeah. started. And so, um, I, you know, it's it's a lot of it is planning ahead of time leading up to championships. So I don't feel like even though we're kind of on a pause right now, all of that planning can still be done. So um, I, I feel like that's all still happening in the background. And then as far as being a sport administrator, you know, I've, I'd been a sport administrator at the WAC for eight years before this, so that part wasn't new. It's just learning more about the coaches and building relationships with them so that they know they can trust me and utilize me um, however they need me. And also being the SWA Senior Woman Administrator, for our listeners who might not be familiar with what that means, what does that mean and what are some of your responsibilities in that role? So the SWA is basically is just the highest ranking female in management of a conference or a school. Um, and it's really not a specific position. It's a designation. So 
it could be designated to anybody in the department under, you know, the department, any athletic department umbrella. Um, and really it was created just to promote representation of women in management and leadership in college sports. Um, I personally have very strong feelings about the fact that the designation is still needed in 2020, but the reality is, is that it's, it still is needed. And, you know, women have come a long way, but if you look at the numbers of women in high ranking roles in this industry, it's pretty eye opening. And when you look back, uh, back to when title nine first started in the seventies and, and how these, uh, how the SWA position came about, there really was no, or, or very few women that were in uh, higher uh, roles within conferences or within administrations at schools, and there really was a need for this. And as you mentioned, I mean, still the numbers uh, uh, don't bear out across the country anyway, um, as far as having uh, women in, in leadership roles, which I, I know it's getting better, but th- there's still some work to be done there. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, obviously we're we're on the right track, and I think there are plenty of programs out there designated to try and mentor women and um, get more women into more leadership roles. But, um, you know, I'm, I feel pretty, I feel privileged to have the designation at the WAC. You've been with the WAC for 12 years now. And prior to working here, you mentioned you had some, some previous experience. You worked at the Summit League, University of Arizona, University of Utah, and Elmhurst College. I've always said, hope you're the Kevin Bacon of collegiate sports you talk to anybody and they either know you or they know someone who knows you it's pretty amazing how many people you do know around the country (laughs) (laughs) that's fun you know i think the reality is this industry is actually really small um so you're going to run into different people and i think before i came to the WAC, i had spent two years at each of my first four stops so that obviously gave me access to lots of different people. And then I think when you work in a conference office, your footprint is multiplied by the number of schools in your conference. So you end up meeting so many different people in all different areas of your member schools. And, you know, I think unlike a lot of people who are in this industry strictly for the sports aspect, I've always said that the relationships are the absolute best part of this job and the people that you deal with day in and day out or what make it so much fun. Um, and, you know, most of my best friends are various colleagues uh, from throughout the years. And so I don't really, I don't know if I would say I'm Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I think I just, just the circumstances have been such that I've been, you know, able to meet and interact with so many different people. Um, and I think you talked about, you know, Elmhurst College is a division three school. Um, that's where I got started and such a different, atmosphere at that level um it's so much more like a family where every no one's above anything and you really do develop great relationships with the coaches and you know being on campus you obviously are around them day in and day out and then you know moving to the division one level at the university of utah and then later the university of arizona i traveled with my teams so uh you know you meet you meet people regularly when you just start traveling to different events throughout the country and then um you know like i said when i came to the conference level just made it exponentially greater being exposed to so many different people at our member schools and you also had a chance to work for the colorado explosion which was a uh, women's professional team in denver and you know jason booth who's now the director of athletics at dixie state university also worked for the explosion yeah, Jason's actually who hired me as an intern <laughs> at the Explosion the summer before my senior year. And it's, you know, it's interesting as a conference, we also um, still, I'm still very much in contact with another coworker there, John Nillen, because he now works for a company that we utilize to order lots of our <clears throat> promotional items and just different branding items for the conference. So uh, I think at our staff at the Explosion, I think there was eight of us maybe, and I'm in touch with six of them still so all these yeah. all these years later and i know when you're at arizona women's basketball was one of your sports joan bonvicini was the head coach who's now our uh, fantastic analyst at uh, the WAC tournament and and had a you had a chance to to work with her and and uh, i've had a chance to work with her as well and and what a uh, what a great experience that's been for me and i'm sure it was for you as well Oh, yeah, definitely. Joan was one of my favorite coaches I've probably ever worked with. Um, I always tell people I don't know if I've ever worked 
had worked before or have worked since <clears throat> with a coach that gave every single person associated with her program uh, a Christmas present that was specific to that person. So not just a gift that she went out and bought 20 of the same thing. She actually <laughs> gave you something that was that she specifically bought for you. Uh, I haven't received many presents from coaches <laughs> uh, <laughs> along the way. So she just had that. I think I, I would say she's how I am as far as really valuing people. And she just made it a point to make sure people knew they were appreciated and that she liked having them as part of her program. Hey, we mentioned uh, you've been in, with the WAC for 12 years now, Hope. When you first came into the WAC, looked a little bit different th- than it does now. What kind of changes have you seen in the conference over the past <laughs> decade? <laughs> uh, well, I think the last time I counted um, during my 12 years at the WAC, we've had 25 different schools um, during that time. And also when I started, we had uh, football. Um, actually, one of my first experiences with the WAC was going to the Fiesta Bowl um, where Boise State beat TCU and, you know, getting to take my husband with me and experiencing that. So obviously a lot different as far as changes in membership and different sports offered. But um, I, I've always been a firm believer that my job is still the same regardless of what schools are in the WAC or what sports are offered. Um, but I will say the whole conference realignment um, personally has been rough on me just because of what I said earlier about relationships with people. And so you build these relationships only to have them lead to other conferences. And, you know, the at lower levels, you have absolutely nothing to do with uh, what's going on. Um, I mean, lower level positions. You don't have any influence on conference realignment. That's happening at pay grades well above, <laughs> <laughs> well above any that I've been exposed to. And so, you know, it's still a casualty, I would say, of it is just those relationships. Now, I've maintained a lot of relationships with people that have left the WAC. Um, but I think that's just been one of the challenges is, you know, learning about new members and what their needs are, what specifically we can do to help them. And, you know, just, I mean, it happens no matter what coaches are fired, coaches take other jobs, whatever. So you have, it's always kind of a, you're filtering, you're, you're going through different coaches, but usually it's not, you know, one year it was five schools that left at once. So that was quite, quite a bit of change. And this is this is my fourth year in the WAC, and it's been fairly stable dur- during that time. I, I got in right after a lot of the conference realignment happened, and and uh, majority of our schools have been in the that full four years. We're having another change coming up this uh, upcoming season in uh, 2021 with uh, Kansas City and Bakersfield leaving, but Tarleton State and Dixie State coming in, and it's kind of interesting. You mentioned those uh, people that you've encountered over the years, and Jason, a per- person you knew way back when, and now uh, back, you're going to be back working with them in the WAC, and then also, from my perspective, working at a Division II conference before I came in, uh, we had uh, GCU as a affiliate member in swimming, CBU as an affiliate member in swimming, and and also Dixie State joined the, the league right after I left, so it, it's kind of interesting how some of the people that you've encountered over the years you get to meet up with them again and and uh, rekindle some of those relationships yeah it's great it's really great and I think that you know I can't speak for Jason but I think it's helpful uh, knowing someone at the conference office uh, as they're making that transition and just um, at least having a you know a familiar face someone that you trust that you can talk to and so yeah it's really great to kind of play that role now you grew up in denver obviously the, the whack offices in denver i imagine that was probably the, a big draw for you to, to come back home big broncos fan growing up but you wound up at uh in Kearney, nebraska for college how did that happen <laughs> you mentioned me being <laughs> you, you mentioned me being a broncos fan the reality is um the broncos are actually the reason i got into sports um I wanted to watch Bronco games with my dad when I was a kid. And he said, I only could, could watch games with him if I knew the rules of the game and understood what was going on. Cause he did not want to have, um, kind of how it was with my mom where she didn't really get it. So when I was seven years old, I took a test on football. <laughs> and once I passed that test, he told me 
that if I was going to be a true fan of the team, I needed to actually know the team. So every year he would get me the team poster and I would learn all the names and numbers of every player. Um, And I could probably identify players from probably 1983 on. Um, But anyway, back to your question about how it got started. Uh, My my dad was a magazine editor when I was growing up and I really idolized him. So I knew I wanted to get a journalism degree. Uh, and my cousin was actually being recruited to play volleyball at the University of Nebraska at Kearney. So I went with her on her visit. <clears throat> and when I was there, I found out that the school had a radio station, a TV station and a student newspaper. Um, and it was also a pretty so- small school. And I just felt like because it was small, I would have the opportunity to, <clears throat> excuse me, try out all three mediums. Um, so I applied and then I ended up getting a full ride academic scholarship. Um, so the two of us went together, even though she ended up not playing volleyball there. Uh, we both went together and we were roommates my freshman year. Um, I will say it was it was a, such an eye opening experience for me. I, I grew up in Denver and the school that I the school and neighborhood I lived in was 80% Hispanic. Um, and so the next thing I knew, I was in the middle of rural Nebraska at a school that was mostly kids from around Nebraska right. who had, you know, agricultural backgrounds. <laughs> I mean, probably as different as we possibly could get, but it ended up being a really wonderful experience for me. Yeah, and UNK, in my prior conference, they were a member of, for, for most of the time I was there, so I've had several trips to uh, Kearney, Nebraska, so I, I kid you a little bit about that, but uh, it, it is uh, definitely a different world than, than coming from Denver and uh, Denver North High School, as you did. We're talking with Hope Schuler now. With all that experience and exposure to uh, different forms of, of journalism and athletics at that time you mentioned your your cousin was uh, playing volleyball there at what point did you decide it was athletics or or sports that was going to be your career path well I played sports my whole life Um, started playing soccer when I was five and played throughout high school and you know I was also on the swim team and volleyball teams in high school but when I started college I was just a I was a journalism major Um, but then I got onto the newspaper staff as a sports reporter and just after that, I was hooked. Um, I then had a sports talk radio show with a couple of classmates and just thought, if I could get paid to do this, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this would be amazing. I, you know, initially I wanted to be a reporter, but then I met the SID at UNK and kind of his, his job just intrigued me. Um, but I actually never worked in college sports. Like I wasn't a student intern in the SID office. Uh, all my experience um, was on, you know, the other side of it as a journalist. Um, and then I, so I was, uh, sports, I, I changed it to sports journalism. And then I found out that the only difference between a major and a minor for sports management was a 12 hour internship, 12 credit hour internship. So, um, that was my first real experience was with, like you talked about before the Colorado explosion, which was a women's, uh, professional basketball team in Denver. And so I interned with them the summer before my senior year, and I created their media guide for the following year and um, just stayed in touch with them. And so the following February, they had an employee leave, and GM ended up holding the job for me until I graduated. So my first job was in community relations with the explosion. So I handled all the player and mascot appearances and um, just a bunch of different community outreach, outreach that the team did. And that hooked you right there. Oh yeah. I loved it. And then I think I, I, the league was experiencing some financial difficulty. So all of the employees had to take a 10% pay cut. Um, and I, that 10% pay cut put me under the right. threshold of being able to pay, pay my bills. So I then was working. Um, so I was working full time with them and then part time, um, waiting tables at a sports bar in Denver. And then the league actually went bankrupt. And so I kept working um, at the sports bar, bar, obviously that carried me through for a couple months. And then um, the GM of the explosion, actually, she actually used to wait outside the sports bar. This was before or in the infancy of cell phones, but she would wait outside 
when I would show up for my shift and tell me that there was no way she was going to allow me to be a waitress for the rest of my life and that I needed to stay focused and not lose sight on my dreams and what I really wanted to do. So she encouraged me to um, apply for a job at the University of Denver uh, because employees get tuition reimbursement. And so I applied and got a job there, but it was, it was a job in, um, as an admissions coordinator, helping people, um, you know, get ready to come to school there and nothing at all that I was really interested in, but I did it just because I got that tuition um, reimbursement. And so I started working on a master's of sports management at the University of Denver. And the problem was I was working there full time. I was still working at the sports bar and then I was taking graduate level classes and I mean, talk about burning the candle on both ends. Um, <laughs> good good I mean, thing you were, not... you were young doing that, though. Yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> I mean, there'd be nights, like, so I'd get up and go to my work, my one job from 8 to 4.30, leave there, go straight for a dinner shift at the sports bar, and then come home and have to do, in some cases, have to do homework um, that was due on the one night or two nights a week that I didn't work at the sports bar. So I... I was really killing myself. And so I decided that if someone would hire me without my master's, I would, um, that would be the route I would take. So then I started applying for jobs in college sports and that's when I got the job with Elmhurst college. Uh, so I, I absolutely, I had never been there. <laughs> I knew nothing about the area. Um, and just picked up at 23 and moved across the country, uh, on my own. Yeah. And, I mean, I had no, I didn't even have a place. I just drove there with a U-Haul full of stuff, towing my car behind it and showed up and found a place. And that's kind of how it all started as far as working in college sports. And I, I tell people all the time that I would never, ever trade that experience at the D3 level because mm-hmm. I was a one-person shop um, doing – I was a sports information director and we had 21 sports, uh, including football and – I had never used the stat program that is utilized in sports, but they were like, well, if you understand the games, you'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly. (laughs) So I started, I want to say I started August 18th and our first game was like September 5th. Um, And thankfully our first couple football games were on the road. So I was able to travel to those games to, and just literally stand behind their stat crew and watch what they did and take notes. And then that was, that was my prep to then stat the team's game <laughs> the third week of the season. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a little more to stat crew than just uh, watching the game and picking it up. It, especially back then, uh, it was not the most uh, intuitive program, as I recall. But uh, No, <laughs> no. You, you do. I mean, the first thing, you have, you have to understand the sport. And, and a lot of times, as you mentioned, 21 sports, well, there's no way that you know anybody can know everything there is to know about 21 sports. Well, you know, I think anyone that knows me knows I'm a very honest and open person. Uh, the one that really I just was like, I know nothing about this was uh, wrestling. So I just went into the coach's office and I said, you know, coach, I really want to help <laughs> promote your program and write recaps and, you know, write about your team. But I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you I know nothing about wrestling. And so, well, this will date me. He uh, put a tape in the VCR. <laughs> <laughs> and played it and we would we basically just um as it was going on he would pause it and explain what everything was and um that's what i mean though i think about division three level that the coach was just like cool i'll show you and it wasn't like oh i'll have one of my assistants show you this the head coach sat me down in his office and broke through you know did film breakthrough with me to teach me what all the scoring moves were and what riding time was what a near fall was what all of that yeah. was and so um, yeah, it was definitely, it's interesting cause I look back now and just think I have so much of it was probably just cause I was so young and eager. I was not intimidated in the least. I just looked at it as, um, a challenge and then also an opportunity to learn a lot, which I definitely did. And then at Elmhurst also, uh, the last dance debuted on Sunday night on ESPN. And that's the big talk uh, today and and last night is, is how great that uh, documentary looks. I had a chance to watch it. don't know if you had a chance to watch it, but obviously Michael Jordan is the focal point on that. And you had a chance to, to run uh, Michael Jordan's uh, camp there at, at Elmhurst, right? Yeah, well, not run the camp, but run the media side of it. Right, so right. here I was, you know, I get hired on um I get through my first year and I think, okay, whew, 
made it through. And then they're like, oh, yeah, don't forget Jordan's camps are held here. So it's really interesting because I have no idea how or why they got why Elmhurst <laughs> College was what he picked because the gym did not have air conditioning. Oh, um, and it was the middle of July in Illinois. So, you know, really heavy humidity and really hot. Um, but the crazy thing was that was actually right after he had announced he was coming back. So the media attention was just <laughs> outrageous. And, you know, I had experienced uh, being the sports information director for a Division three school. And I, you know, got a few pieces in the Tribune or on WGN that were, it was huge that the college was getting that kind of coverage. But then here I am being told I'm going <laughs> to handle media for Michael Jordan's camp. It was insane. Um, and really just a precursor, I think, to what, I was going to experience at the division one level when I went on to the university of Utah, where, you know, my first, <clears throat> my first year there, uh, that was when Alex Smith was the number one draft pick in yeah. the NFL and Andrew Bogut was the number one in the NBA, <laughs> but it was, it was really a really cool experience. Um, just getting to see a different side of him, obviously, um, behind the scenes to see that he really was just a person. And, um, he, really did not want any of that media attention at that camp. I think he <laughs> he was there really to just have the camp and wanted it to just be about that. But, you know, it was really cool for the kids on the team because every night, you know, the camp was during the day and then every night the camp counselors who were all different players from different programs would get to play pickup with him. So you want to talk about once in a lifetime experience, you know, here's these division three players that are getting to play <laughs> basically like open gym with Michael Jordan. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really, that was a really fun experience. And so when you were at Utah, so Urban Meyer would have been the, the football coach then, right? Yeah. He got hired after my first year, which it was interesting because, you know, there was a lot of controversy at the time when they had fired the previous coach. Uh, and they were like, everyone was kind of like, who is this guy? He's unheard of. He's coming from Bowling Green. Right. Like what, a, what even is Bowling Green? <laughs> and so um, it was, it was very interesting just to see, cause it was, I wouldn't say controversial, but people really weren't sold on him. Um, and it, you know, he was obviously, I think very different at that time. I think I would say it was probably on the cusp of where ego <laughs> came into play. He was very down to earth and, um, easy to deal with and, I was not the football SID, but my boss was. And, and a couple of times when she was out of town with a family emergency, I covered spring practice for her. Um, and he was, you know, great to work with, easy, easygoing guy. The funniest story I had, I think, about that time is that his family, um, it was a day that they were taking photos for the media guide. Um, you know, they hire a photographer and this takes different like family photos so people can see the coaches uh from a different light and he he shows he's there but his wife's not and he's like kind of frazzled and says well we have we have a problem and so my boss is like what's going on like your family can't be here or what and he was like well my youngest my son put um handcuffs on like toy handcuffs and my wife can't find the key <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so they ended up coming with the handcuffs on and then they had to photoshop the handcuffs out of the family photo. <laughs> I think as a parent you know like then I was really young and not even anywhere near having a family but I think now having a, a, a nine-year-old daughter I just laugh so much harder at that just you know because I think it's just the other side of people that they're humans too. And they have the same experiences with children that pretty much any parent has. Well, I remember the last, last year that I was a sports anchor in Colorado Springs. I'd cover the air force football games. And that was, I believe urban Meyer's first year was, it was Alex Smith was the quarterback at Utah and air force had a pretty good schedule that year. And the first game they played was against Cal who had Aaron Rodgers. And at the time before the game, I remember thinking, okay, we've got to get plenty of shots Aaron Rodgers because he's going to be the, the number one pick in the draft. That's what all these magazines are saying. And and then when Utah came to town, there wasn't that buzz around Alex Smith. It was Utah had a great team, but 
I don't remember Alex Smith having that buzz, and then he winds up being the number one pick, and Aaron Rodgers goes, what, like 26 to, to Green <laughs> Bay. But both had good NFL careers, but I think Aaron Rodgers turned out to be the better quarterback of the two. We're talking with Hope Schuler and, and Hope. Um, you, you mentioned you have your nine-year-old daughter. Hopefully Everly's doing okay with this lockdown and everything. But uh, uh, talking to Chris Thompson last week, he said he was going to put on his resume a first-grade teacher in addition to his <laughs> other duties. Uh, imagine uh, teaching has, has been a big part of your life the past month or so. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty funny because Everly is such an overachiever that uh, <clears throat> the work that they get, she's been finishing by like 10 o'clock every day. So um, <laughs> we've definitely had to get creative on how to, you know, occupy her time. Um, I think, you know, even outside of the school work, part of it, we've watched, we've watched a lot of movies. We've played probably every one of the 50 or so board games that we have as a family and We've spent, we've definitely spent more time in our uh, backyard than we have in the 12 years that we've owned our house. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it has been, it, it has been very challenging. It's been for her, she's a very social person. So I think it's, she's really struggled with not being able right. to be around her friends. And, you know, she's doing her Zoom calls the same as I'm doing mine for work. She has a regular call set up with friends and then, her class they check in you know they have they have once a day they can pick if they want to do the morning or the afternoon one um but she it's it's really interesting because all the work is they have to say that it's optional um but she does i don't think she knows what the term optional means <laughs> so so she's just it, it's uh she you know i think she's actually more hip to technology than either one of us my husband or I are so I mean she hasn't really missed a beat you know she I would say with um she's very close to my parents and um she spends every Friday night at their house so that Scott and I have a built-in date night once a week right um which that obviously isn't happening but they've been very creative on how they've um still been able to interact with her my dad usually takes her to breakfast every Tuesday before school. So they've just been doing FaceTime breakfast every week. And then she normally cooks with my bakes with my mom every weekend when she spends the night there. So it's been, uh, for me, very interesting because I've been the one baking with her here when really I haven't done a ton of that with her throughout her life because she does it with my mom once a week. And so we pick a recipe. They alternate who picks each week, who, whose pick it is, and then we bake we bake at our house and they bake at their house over FaceTime and, uh, you know, just trying to keep keep that connection going. I think it's really important for them and for her to have that regular interaction. You know, they also have been reading with her. So once a day, every day at two o'clock, they call and um, on FaceTime, they read. They just finished Little Women. So wow. I, 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 I think I'm yeah, <laughs> I think I'm a lot different than most people um, because I'm not viewing this. Yeah, it's an inconvenience. You know, you get a little bit stir crazy, but I'm viewing this as just such an amazing time for me to be with my family and, you know, spend time with them. I, I haven't I told my husband the other day I haven't spent this much time with Everly since I was on maternity leave. Right. And And frankly, I've never spent this much time with Scott because you know, we both have full-time jobs. So we're, you know, we, we live for the weekends to get to spend time together. And now it's kind of like surreal that we're getting this much time together. So. Yeah. My daughter being 16, uh, again, we're trying to come up with creative things and she was like, Hey, why don't we do, uh, uh, you know, some different meals. So the other night we had spaghetti tacos, um, (laughs) just to kind of mix it up a little bit. Again, she's vegetarian. I'm gluten-free. Um, so that's one of the few kind of items we could both do, uh, as long as there was like not any meat in the sauce and corn, uh, uh, shells, you know, corn's fine. Whereas flour's not uh, for gluten-free. So, uh, th- those are the kind of experiences, hopefully, you know, we're going to remember for a long time after all this is over, you know, knock on wood, uh, it seems like, especially in the state of Colorado, uh, the numbers are going down a little bit. So that's that's a positive sign that hopefully, you know, maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel and, and we can get back to sports and some of these other things that we love. Well, and I think I, I my hope is that people leave this experience with a renewed view, a, a, you know, a refreshed view of what's important to them. And, yep. you know, 
um, not taking things for granted, uh, <laughs> that, that we, you know, it's just human nature to take things for granted. And I think if anything, this should have shown people not to take their health for granted, not to take their family for granted, not to take all these little conveniences we have in life for granted. Uh, I know it will me, and I just hope other people, you know, can use it as a, a, a way to live a better life. Well, I hope that's a great way to end our conversation here. I want to thank you for taking some time out and and uh, stay healthy. Say hi to Everly and Scott for us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you face-to-face before too long. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and I'll definitely say hi to them. You stay healthy and uh, well, and thanks for everything that you do, Eric. Awesome. That is Hope Schuler, Associate Commissioner and Senior Woman Administrator for the Western Athletic Conference. Also want to thank our other guests today. We have Lon Reisman, Vice President of Intercollegiate Athletics at Tarleton State, and Rachel Vigil. And we want to thank you for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at waxsports.com.